Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be together this morning, um, looking at verses 42 through 47. I'll give you just a moment to get there. Acts 2, 42 to 47. It's going to be the passage we're on today. Heavy rain outside, people in the back. Can you hear me? We good? All right. Just making sure. I can yell if I need to. It's all right. Acts 2. Verses 42 to 47, this is the fellowship of the believers. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the firm foundation of your word. We thank you that it is sufficient for us to build our lives upon. We thank you that it's sufficient for you to build your church. And we thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, has promised that he will build his church, that the gates of hell even will not prevail against it. We thank you that you are not limited by a space, Father, that we can gather together anywhere, that we can simply open up your word, preach it and proclaim it as you've been given to us and trust that it's enough for you to continue building your church. So Father, I ask this morning that you would Uh, Speak through the pages of Scripture, a word that will edify your church and glorify your name. Father, sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth, and we submit to it now. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. You can go ahead and find your seats, and again, Acts 2 is where we'll be spending our time together this morning. Uh, If you're our guest, my name's Taylor, and I serve here at Cross as lead pastor, and we're honored to have you worshiping with us on this rainy, rainy Sunday morning. Sorry that the first group got the better weather this morning. And, uh, and so we're so glad to have you here. And I just want to say to you, church family, thank you for being flexible this week. Um, if you are our guest, we do not normally meet right here. Uh, we typically meet at the YMCA, but the floors at the YMCA, if you weren't aware, are being refinished this weekend. They needed to close the Y for the weekend to make sure um, there was time and uh, space for them to adequately do that. Um, so we'll be right back there next week. And this morning, what we're going to do is is take a brief pause from our time in the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been with us this summer, um, we started walking through Matthew chapters five through seven back in June, and we're right at the halfway point. Um, So today and next week, we're gonna take a brief pause from the Sermon on the Mount before we resume that for the rest of the year. And in many ways, it is fitting that we are gathered here together on this Sunday morning, and and here's why. Let, Let me just ask this across the room. Um, I'm interested to know at what point in time you first interacted and got connected with our church. So I know there's not gonna be many hands here, but how many of you in this room were part of our launch team way back in 2016 and helped start Cross Community? So we see, I think you have four or five hands across the room. Okay, how many of you joined us maybe around 2017, 2018? Okay, a little bit further, how many of you joined maybe 2019, 2020 timeframe? And how many have joined in with us for the first time over the last couple of years? So, so that's actually the majority of hands in, in the room. We've, we've seen a, a big influx of new families the last couple of years. And, and for those of you who have maybe just been with us for two years or less, uh, this is gonna sound crazy coming from you know, the pastor of a church that meets in a gym on Sunday morning, um, but you've actually had it really good for the last couple of years. 
uh, in terms of, of just having a stable place to be able to come on Sunday morning and meet. You know, it is uh, this, this hot, sweaty gym in the middle of Port Royal in the summer on a Sunday morning, but at the end of the day, that has been a, a stable home for us uh, for most of the last four years, even as we wait for our permanent home to be finished over the next few months. And um, going all the way back, especially to 2016, it's fitting that we're here today on this week because it was four years, excuse me, six years ago uh, in the fall of 2016, that this is what we were doing. Um, we were just kind of meeting wherever we could. Uh, usually our launch team was getting together on Saturday mornings. Um, there was no full kids ministry set up the way that we normally had. Uh, we would come together and usually if we sang, it was just Grayson with an acoustic guitar and then I would open the scripture and we'd uh, just have a short Bible study time and we'd spend time together in prayer. And, and man, the Lord used that to, to build, as a foundation to build us into the church that we become six years later. And, and so it's, it's fitting, I think, that we do this, especially just a few months before moving into a permanent facility, because I know some of our launch team people are like, man, you people have it good. Y'all have it good. Like we had to suffer through all that, you know, for five and six years to all of the, the blood, sweat, tears, and sacrifice to get um, to that point. And so I, I think it's good that we as a church have these moments where we just kind of strip things down, where once again, we just get back to the basics. Uh, back in 2016, before the church started, what we did every other month um, for about a year is we would have these open house meetings and people could come learn about our story and what we sense the Lord calling us to do in Buford and just uh, plans to start this congregation. And, and so we'd share information in for about 45 minutes to an hour and then we would open up for questions. And, and after about four or five of these open house meetings, I started to notice a trend with the types of questions that were being asked. Almost no one was asking any sort of question about like, hey, what does your church believe? There were no questions almost about our plan to, to preach and teach scripture, kind of what our conviction was when it came to the preaching of the word of God. There really weren't many questions related to how are we going to form people spiritually through the work of discipleship? Lots of questions came that, that sounded like this. Hey, what, what, what style of music do you think you guys are going to play? How do you anticipate people are going to dress on Sunday mornings? Is this like a, like a t-shirt and jeans church or like khakis and button-up church or, or, or even more formal? The one question that people would ask more than any other question was this, well, where are you guys going to meet? What building are you going to meet in? What, what facility are, are you going to, to use? And, and, and one by one, man, we, we just watched in these meetings that the air would just totally deflate out of the room when we told them we really don't have that in place yet. And people were just flabbergasted by this idea that we would, be, we would be starting a church, starting a congregation before we even really knew where we were going to gather together. It wasn't until the fall of 2016 that we knew that we were going to be meeting for a while at Buford High School. And so it didn't surprise me then looking back that we, we had 196 people attend one of these open houses. And by the end of it all, only 45 said, yeah, I want to be a part of that. And so it just made me wonder, and I think it's a good question for us to consider this morning. If you were to move from Buford you were to start seeking a church. You needed to find a new church home as you moved to a new community. Do you know what you should be looking for? Like, do you know what your expectations of the church should be? And then I wanna press into that a little bit and just ask the question, how many of those expectations are biblical, can actually be rooted in scripture, and how many of those are preferential or superficial and cultural? Do we even know what we should be looking for in a church? If you came across authentic Christian community, how would you know that you had come across it? 
That's what we're going to see this morning in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. This is the very beginning of the church, the earliest days of the church. And what we're going to see from Acts 2, a very brief time together this morning, is this. That we have everything we need right here today for Jesus to build his church. And here's why. What we see in Acts 2 is that we need Jesus, we need his word, and we need each other. And if we have these things, that is all that is required for the Lord to build his church. So from Acts chapter 2, I want to read again verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now again, you, you may have noticed this morning, no screens up here, all right? We did the, uh, the, the Xerox hymnal this morning for you uh, with all of our uh, songs and everything. So the message notes outlines are in there. I've tried to keep that uh, close for you for those of you note takers. One thing, there's a quote at point one that doesn't belong there. That's from last week's sermon. You can disregard that, um, just a typo on our part. Uh, and so go listen to last week's sermon. That quote will make sense. Um, but uh, let's, let's walk through Acts 2 very quickly here together this morning. What is the devoted community? Here are the marks. We see first from Acts 2.42, the devoted community is marked by formative worship. The devoted community is marked by formative worship. The Christian community above all else is a worshiping community. You know, we, we could sit here all day long and, and we could all have personal opinions about what it takes to, you know, reach our culture today, to reach the world today with the message of the gospel. We could have all sorts of opinions about what we think is needed in order for a church to be built. We, we could do this all day long, but ultimately, first and foremost, above everything else, the church is a worshiping community. Now, I'm going to say something that's, that I think going to mess with some of our minds this morning. You know, one of the most radical things that you can do to reach the world we live in today is to do exactly what you're doing right now. This is one of the most radical things that we can do is simply gather together as the people of God under the preaching and the teaching of his word as we oversee and affirm one another's belonging and membership in the body of Christ, as we give, as we serve, as we leave this place with the message of the gospel. One of the most radical things you can commit to doing is doing what you're doing right now because the church is first and foremost a worshiping community. We see that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So it's pretty simple as the early church gathered. One of the apostles would stand up and teach. We saw a few weeks ago from our time in the Sermon on the Mount that, that their Bible were the 39 books of the Old Testament. The rest of the New Testament was still in formation, still being written. They had the Old Testament, so they would preach an Old Testament passage usually and show, hey, here's how this points to Jesus Christ. Uh, or uh, even the apostles, they were writing letters at the time. They were writing the gospel accounts. And these things would circulate from church to church. So Peter or John or James or Jude, they would write a letter. It would circulate to the congregations. Someone would get up and they would read it. And, and this has been the approach of the church for 2,000 years. Lots of opinions about preaching today. This is biblical preaching according to the word of God. It's pretty simple. We read the text, we explain it, and then we apply it. We read it, we explain it, we apply it. That there's, there's nothing in scripture about how, how hype the speaker needs to be, that there's nothing in the scripture about how entertaining it should be. There's nothing in the scripture even about sermon length. What we do see over and over is that same repeated pattern. We read the word of God, we explain the word of God, and then we apply the word of God. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. We also see that it says they were devoted to the fellowship. 
Now, I, I do think the English Standard Version has the best translation of this, and a couple of others do this as well. Some translations will just say they were devoted to fellowship, but if you get into the language, you see there's a definite article that belongs there. They weren't just devoted to fellowship, they were devoted to the fellowship. The early church was not just devoted to fellowship as a concept, they were devoted to fellowship as a construct. There was a clear marking out from the earliest days of the church of who belonged to the body and who didn't. So as those who publicly professed faith in Jesus Christ through baptism, that is what marked them out as belonging to the body. And we see all through the New Testament that all these believers in different locations, they were organized into congregations. And, and, and people had a clear awareness of who belonged to those congregations and who led those congregations and who was accountable to whom and, and who was responsible for whom. And so we, we see that pattern all throughout the New Testament, what we would call church membership. They were devoted to the fellowship, not just as a concept, but as a construct. We also see they were devoted to the breaking of bread. And all of God's people in the South said, amen. Right, like, like the church in the South, we don't have it perfect, but we can potluck like it's nobody's business to the glory of God. That is one thing I can confidently say. Our church has aced in six years. It's food. We do it very well. Craig, Craig Reeves is here. Can I get a testimony from someone? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we see this picture. And, and so this wasn't, understand, as they gathered for worship, first century church, this was not 45 minutes to an hour on Sunday morning. I mean, they would gather together certainly for worship, but this usually was also in the context of a shared meal, of shared lives. Uh, that did include the observance of the Lord's Supper of communion. They usually attack that on as a part of a whole meal. They were devoted to this. They were devoted to this. So they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and they were also devoted to prayer. The, the church was above all else a praying people. You, know, you do the desert island scenario. If you were to give someone a Bible who had no exposure to it whatsoever and, and ask them to turn to the book of Acts, and if you were to ask them after reading the book of Acts at first exposure, what is required for the church to survive, they would say at least two things. What is required for the church to survive is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And what is required for the church to survive is prayer. These are the things that they were devoted to. These are the simple, ordinary means of grace that God has given for the building up of his church. This is all that's required for Jesus to build his church. And it doesn't seem like much. It doesn't, doesn't seem to wow us. But it's by submitting ourselves to these basic spiritual disciplines, through these formative, ordinary means of grace, we can trust that's enough for God to build his church. Across 2,000 years of church history, that's what we see the church doing. They come together for the preaching of the word. They're devoted to the fellowship, to the body of believers there is a breaking of bread, there's the observance of the Lord's Supper, and there is prayer. Simplest mark of a worshiping community is formating, formative worship. We go on to verse 43, it says, and awe came upon every soul. I love this. It says, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So the devoted community is marked by formative worship. We see second, the devoted community is marked by awestruck wonder. There was a sense of awestruck wonder that marked these people. 
As the power of the Holy Spirit filled them, they, they went out and they were preaching and proclaiming the message of the gospel. I mean, these, these people who just weeks earlier pretended that they did not even know who Jesus was, fled the scene when he was being arrested. Suddenly they are getting up publicly and preaching the gospel in his name. We see that people are, are healed physically through the power of the Holy Spirit. Greatest miracle of all through the book of Acts is people who were dead in their sins are coming to life in Jesus Christ. People like the Apostle Paul, who once persecuted the church, is now becoming the leader of the church. And this is the picture that we see over and over. Church, it should be normal for the Spirit to move in power among a body of believers. That should be the normative experience of the church. As we walk in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, these types of things should be normal. Now, A.W. Tozer wrote this decades ago, and I think these words are still so prophetic for today. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. Let's look at our lives individually and collectively as a body. How much is happening in our lives individually? How much is happening in the life of our church that is only possible because of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit? Are we a people who are marked by dependence on the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from Cross Community Church today, how much would still go on? How much are we relying on our own strength? How much are we relying on our own planning? How much are we relying on our own efforts, on our own ability? If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from here, from, from your life, how much would continue to go? We've got to be people who are marked by dependency and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That this is what authentic Christian community looks like. It looks like people who are marked by awe-struck wonder. People who cannot help but stand back, even an outside community that looks from the outside in and says, God is among those people. And only God could do these things. Go on to read verses 44 and 45. It says, and all who, were, who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So the devoted community is marked by formative worship and awestruck wonder. We also see third that the devoted community is marked by selfless giving. We're marked by selfless giving. It says they were together and had all things in common and they sold even of their own possessions and distributed to all with needs. Now, a quick point of clarification here. This passage is not an endorsement of forced communism, okay? Let's make sure we're on the same page there. This passage is not an endorsement of communism. It does not bring glory to God when people are forced to give things to meet the needs of others. The real miracle here is that people didn't have to be forced to do it. This was the evidence of the Spirit of God is that people who had an abundance of money were saying, this doesn't all belong to me. People were looking at their houses and saying, this house is not mine. They, they saw everything as being given to them first and foremost by God, ultimately to be stewarded for his glory, for the building up of the church, for the advance of his gospel, for the care of the community of believers. They saw nothing, the book of Acts says, as belonging to themselves. They said, none of this is mine. None of this is mine. And I just wonder, what does that look like for you today? To log on to your bank account this afternoon and say, none of this is mine. Some of us, that's easier to do than others. Not a whole lot there. None of this is mine. None of this is mine. What's it look like for you to look at your house and say, this doesn't belong to me? Church, we're building a facility right now. What's it look like for us to look at that facility and say, that doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Jesus. 
But we see nothing as belonging to themselves. That this is what was so powerful about the movement of the early church is there were no needing people among them. They, they were so intentional that they were so focused on making sure that the needs of the whole congregation were met. People were, were selling land. They were giving away possessions. What was the last time some of us did something like this? Sold something so that we could meet the needs of somebody else. But this is a mark of the early church. We, listen, we are people who understand that we don't give to get more. We give because we've been given everything in Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel tells us, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He gave. God could not have given us more than he gave us when he gave us Jesus. So we see everything that we've been given as a gift of common grace that has been given ultimately to bring glory to God and to build up the church. Nothing belonged to themselves. They distributed as all had need. Go on to verse 46, it says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So forth, we see that the devoted community is marked by frequent gathering, frequent gathering. How often did they gather according to verse 46? It was day by day, day by day. It wasn't just a quick stop on, on a Sunday morning. And, and I think it's important too that we, we make mention of, of this because you know, oftentimes we're guilty of looking at the past, particularly the early church, first century church, kind of through these uh, rose-colored glasses. But we like to think of the early church as this you know, very organic, earthy, kind of non-institutionalized movement. And, and as a part of that, you'll often hear people say, hey, well, the early church didn't even have buildings, they just met in homes. But, well, a couple things about that. We know that's not true because of Acts 2. Uh, it wasn't just in homes that they met. They continued to meet in temples. They continued to meet in synagogues. This was not an either or, it was a both and. And, and that was a, that's a picture I think that's very important for us to see of, of them meeting in public spaces and meeting in homes because we have a tendency out of our personal preferences to kind of value like high institutional church uh, or house church movement. Um, and, and so oftentimes you, you see these movements kind of opposed to, to one another. But, but this is what we have seen all throughout the history of the church, even up to today. What we see today is that God is using the house church to reach China, and God is, reaching, God is using the mega church to reach South Korea. What we see that God is, is using all sorts of types of churches, churches of every shape and every size. Guys, I've, I've served on staff at a small church. I've served on staff at a mega church. I've served on staff at a, at a medium-sized church, kind of like ours. Uh, I, I've spent time in an established church, 200 plus years. I've, I've obviously done the church plant thing as well. I spent a season in the house church. And listen, this is what I can tell you about every one of these models across the board. Uh, everybody thinks they're doing it better than everybody else, for starters. Everybody thinks that they are the right model of, of how to do this. And, and listen, every single one of these movements has, has offered positive benefit to the body of Christ globally. But here's what else I can tell you. Every single one of these models also has major flaws. And you know why that is? Because we're sinners. That doesn't matter. Like you, you, you wanna talk about the, the purity of the house church movement. You, you wanna talk about the, the resources and, and the strength of, of, of the mega church movement. Look, there, there's positives that we could point to in each direction. We're gonna find flaws in both as well. And, and so we need to be very, very careful about categorizing one movement above the other, about thinking ourselves better than those who, who may do things differently than us. The Lord is using all of it to bring glory to his name. We need to hold on to these things loosely. But the picture we need to see here for sure is that they were meeting together day by day. 
This was not just a quick weekend stop. These people were invested in each other's lives. The only picture we see of the, the way the early church gathers through the New Testament is that they were a people who gathered with great frequency. This is the picture we see in Hebrews 10. The writer of Hebrews tells us that we should gather together all the more as we see the day of the Lord drawing near. You know, even as we build our own facility, people ask question number one, why do this? The first answer is to do Hebrews 10 well. Because God calls us to gather together all the more as we see the day drawing near. And that's an important word for us today. What is authentic Christian community? What is devoted Christian community? You rewind the clock just about 20 years. Average church attendance in the United States was considered twice a week. Like twice a week, people were devoting either to a time of worship, Bible study, two periods of week. That was considered regular church attendance in the United States just 20 years ago. You fast forward to today, regular church attendance is now considered once or twice a month. The biblical mandate, friends, is not to gather together all the less. It is to gather together all the more. That is authentic Christian community. It was, it was not once a week or, or once a month. It was day by day. They were looking for reasons to come together. And that's what needs to mark us as a body of believers. As we see the day of the Lord drawing near, as we see the return of Jesus drawing near, as we see that day, that time, that hour, when we'll see Jesus face to face drawing near, which by the way, it is happening with every passing second. As we see that happening, we should be gathering together all the more. Frequent worship marks authentic Christian community, frequent gathering. In verse 47, it closes out like this. It says, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. So we see fifth and finally this morning that the devoted community is marked by gospel growth. It's marked by gospel growth. Who does Acts 2 say was adding to the number day by day those who were being saved? Who was doing that work? It was the Lord. It was the Lord. The Lord is the one who is ultimately responsible for the growth of the church. That is a conversation that, that is totally and completely in his hands. And again, sadly, we've seen this especially over the last hundred years. That, that's, that's a conversation the church has tried to take into our own hands. You, you see so many methods today that, that, man, it's about just getting as many people in the room as possible, as quickly as possible. But friends, please understand, a crowd is not a church. You can have a crowd of people and it not be the church of Jesus Christ. And I think we play a very, very dangerous game. You can look at some of the largest so-called churches in our nation today and our propensity is to look at that and say, man, look how many people they're reaching. They must be doing something right. Like I missed the verse in the Bible that tells us it must be right if lots of people are doing it. Like a matter of fact, like I, I see a lot of opposite verses. Like I, I see like whenever there's a mass of people doing something, it's like, hey, may, be, be cautious there. Jesus says that there's two different ways. There's one that's narrow and it's good and there's one that's really, really wide and that's the one that lots of people go to. And I think it's good for us to have a healthy level of, of cynicism and skepticism when we start talking about church growth. We should be asking the question, well, who's the one that's responsible for that growth? Is that something we're just manufacturing and manipulating in our own strength apart from the power of the Holy Spirit? Or is the church growing because the gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed and the Lord is adding those who are being saved? Because those are two very different conversations. The authentic Christian community should be marked by gospel growth. 
And that's a work that belongs completely and totally to the Lord. I want to go back as we start to wrap up this morning to where we started just a few minutes ago. Going back to some of those open house meetings and that question of, if you were looking for a church, would you know what you needed to be looking for? And as you communicate what it is you're looking for, can you attach those desires to things that you actually see in Scripture? I want to take us back to that because what often ends up happening, I really fear, man, in our culture, especially today, what I see happen a lot is you have people who profess to be faithful followers of Jesus, but they never commit or connect to any church because there's not a single church that meets all of their desires and wants. And so it's kind of like, we're just, we're over here and then we're over here and then we're over here. Like even if like 99% they're there. And honestly, the reasons for moving away tend to be generally pretty superficial. A lot of times it has to do just with, well, I don't like the style of music and, and I like this better. And, but, but man, very, very infrequently, unfortunately, is it due to like, like legitimate reasons. Like, hey, the gospel's not being proclaimed. The word is not being proclaimed. Uh, you know, sometimes it's due, man, there's corrupt leadership within the church and there's, just, there's really nothing that you can do about that. Th- things that really are legitimate reasons, unfortunately, that doesn't mark most of why people get connected these days. It tends to be pretty superficial for the most part. And what happens is in your quest for kind of this holy grail, perfect church, what you end up missing is the beauty of God's perfection shining through a bunch of broken and perfect people. And that's what the church is meant to be. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote these words. I've shared these before. Um, It's long, so bear with me here for just a moment. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a German pastor who was martyred under the Nazi regime. Um, for uh, his, his faith. And these are words he wrote over 80 years ago, and I, I think they're still so prophetic for us today. He said this, he said, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may ever be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands set up by their own law and judge one another and God accordingly. It is not we who build. Christ builds the church. Whoever is mindful to build the church is surely well on the way to destroying it, for he will build a temple to idols without wishing or knowing it. We must confess he builds. We must proclaim he builds. We must pray to him and he will build. We do not know his plan. We cannot see whether he is building or pulling down. It may be that the times which by human standards are the times of collapse are for him times of great construction. It may be that the times from which from a human standpoint are great times for the church are times when it is pulled down. It is a great comfort which Jesus gives to his church. You confess, preach, bear witness to me, and I alone will build where it pleases me. Do not meddle in what is not your providence. Do what is given to you and do it well, and you will have done enough. So so what are then the things that have been given to us? When we go back to the very beginning of this passage, it's these simple, ordinary means of grace. We preach and teach the word of God. We do that in fellowship. We do that in community as members of the body of Christ. 
what we give of ourselves, our time, our treasure, our talent, what we go from the places where we gather into our community and we saturate it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's through committing to, to the very simple, ordinary means of grace, the things that, that many of us have been hearing our entire lives. As unspectacular as they seem, we, we see that they have supernatural results. If this is the work we will commit ourselves to, we can trust that the Lord is gonna do a great work for the sake of his name. So, so church, again, I think as we gather here this morning, it's a good opportunity for kind of uh, us to hit a timeout and, and to pause on things. You know, very uh, transparently, um, meeting here this morning was way easier for our staff and ministry teams than it usually is at the YMCA, okay? Like a whole lot less set up, a whole lot less, less chaos, and again, not, not the full kids ministry set up. And so it's a good opportunity for us just to kind of hit the pause button and, and to remind ourselves once again, man, what is actually necessary for Jesus to build his church? What is actually biblically, not, not personally, not culturally, not preferentially required, what is, what is biblically required for a healthy church to come into existence and to flourish and to thrive and, not, and to survive? What, what is necessary? We, we see it here. We're going to preach the gospel and make disciples. We're going to gather together for, for worship. We're going to grow individually and collectively in our knowledge of who God is and a deeper understanding of his word as we disciple one another. We're going to give of ourselves. We're going to give of our resources, and we're going to go from this place and share the good news of Jesus. This is what we can trust because we have Jesus, because we have his word, because we have each other. We have everything we need for his church to be built in Beaufort, South Carolina. Amen. If we will commit to focusing on the health of the church and, and being what we see in Acts 2, a devoted community, authentic community, if we will focus on the health of the church, we can trust that Jesus will take care of the growth of the church. That is completely in his hands. Every bit of it is grace that comes only from him. And so we will commit to doing the simple, ordinary, formative things that he calls us to do. So will you bow your heads with me as we close our time together this morning? Um, again, we, we're uh, time constrained on our ability to use this room today. We're so grateful for the Tabby Place making this work for us this morning. Um, if you're visiting with us, we normally take communion together every week. We're not gonna do that this morning because we never want communion to feel like we're just kind of rushing through it at the end or, or just tacking it on. And so uh, we just decided to, to step back from that for a week. But I, I do, just as you have your heads bowed, just to encourage you just to still enter into some introspection here. And just ask yourself very simply this morning, what are you expecting of, of our church? What are you expecting of the church that is maybe really not what the Lord intends for his church? What are some ways that we, we've maybe expected the church to, to be and to do something that it was never ordained by God to do or to be? And maybe just confess to the Lord ways that we've, we've held up some preferences or idols in such a way that it's caused us to miss the beauty of the body of Christ. And beyond that, maybe you just come in this room this morning, you know, what are burdens that you're holding on to? What are ways that we fell short this week? That we just, we just need to call a time out here and just confess before the Lord that we've stepped outside of his word, that we've not followed the leading of his Holy Spirit, that we've sinned against others in our lives, that we've sinned against him through our actions, through our words, through our deeds. So Lord, as we come to you, as we begin to close this time together today, Father, help us to be reminded 
that we have your son, Jesus. Help us to be reminded that we have his word. Help us to be reminded that we have each other. That that is all that we need and that that is all we should expect. That this is sufficient for you to continue building your kingdom in this community. And Lord, we do ask and pray and plead for you to build your kingdom in this community. Father, don't build our church, build your church. And if you and your grace and your mercy, you privilege us to be a part of that, we will be forever grateful. So Father, we submit to the authority of your word in our lives. Empower us and boldness as we leave today to walk in the power of your Holy Spirit within us. Lord, do work among us that can only be attributed to you. Help us to saturate our community with the gospel in such a way that those who are far from you would look at us and say, surely God is among them. So fathers, we lift our voices in song as we continue this morning in confession and repentance and turning to you. I just ask, Father, that it would all be a sweet fragrance and aroma to you. Be glorified in the praises of your people. Be glorified in us as we leave this place today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen.